John Feinberg won't forget the day when he heard the words Huntington's Korea and when he found out that was his wife's diagnosis. You see, the prognosis in that case is grim. It's a disease that doesn't show up until later in life, but its progress is inevitable. It starts off with forgetfulness and clumsiness, but as it progresses, uh, the victim slowly loses all ability to control their body voluntarily. And it doesn't just affect the body, it affects the mind. As it goes and takes its course, uh, the person forgets who they are. They can begin to experience schizophrenic episodes and have delusions and hallucinations. And it's always fatal. There's no cure. And to make things even worse, there's a 50% chance that any child will inherit that from their parent, and they had three children, the Feinbergs. John Feinberg is a professor at Trinity Evangelical Seminary. He wrote his doctoral dissertation on the problem of evil, and it was later published in a book. He took particular concern to study the problem of evil and suffering because of some other family experiences that he had. And yet, in his own words, he will tell you that when he heard those words, he felt like God had forgotten him. All of his intellectual answers to the problem of evil were no comfort in that moment of intense grief and pain. And he wanted to know, God, where are you in this? So I wonder if maybe you can identify with that. You know, I know many of us here, and I know that we are, some of us are working hard to try to make ends meet for our family, but it's, it's just not happening. And we're like, God, where are you? Some of us have relationships that are broken, and um, there's not a real, at least in our mind, what we can see a real likelihood they're going to be restored. And we're hurting, and we want to know, God, where are you in this? It feels like you've forgotten me. Some of us have chronic diseases uh, with pain that is ongoing, and there's really no prognosis it's going to get better, at least not from the eyes of, that we can see with here. And so we, like John Feinberg, at times we'll find ourselves in a place of deep emotion where we say, God, it feels like you've forgotten me. Where are you? Now, a few years later, John Feinberg would look back and he would reflect on his circumstance. And what he realized is going to be helpful to us tonight. What he realized is that in the midst of deep emotional pain and suffering, where we're crying out to God and it feels like God is not there, that he's forgotten us, the problem is not an intellectual problem. The problem is not that we need to, to have explained to us how evil came into the world and what God has said he's going to do about it. The problem is an emotional problem. The question that's raised in that situation is, how do I go on with God when I know that, that he could stop this? And yet, for his purposes, he has not at this time. Tonight, as we look at Psalm 13, that's what we're going to see. God has graciously give us, given us in Psalm 13 a way that we can go forward with God. And we're going to see that Psalm 13 lays out a process that we can follow through as we go with God, where we will see that if we will first tell him how we feel, ask him for help, that he will enable us to trust him as we go on with him through the problem.
you know, there's um, several people in the Bible that I'm partial to or that I kind of am jealous of. That's probably more accurate. I'm jealous. Uh, I'm jealous of Enoch. Um, and I did have a mentor once tell me that's probably not a good thing. But I'm jealous of Enoch because he walked really closely with God. And the Bible says that he walked so closely with God that he didn't die, which to me sounds good. And uh, that God actually took him to be with him in heaven. Like he didn't have to go through death. He walked so closely with God and then God took him to be with him. I think that's pretty cool. So I'm kind of jealous of that. I'm jealous of Peter. I like him because he makes lots of mistakes. And you guys can see that's probably helpful. Um, But he also had the great confession that you're the Christ, the son of God. Uh, And so he also got to walk on water for a little while. You know, and I have a hard time getting up on skis. So I think that's pretty cool. So I'm jealous of Peter. Uh, but there's another guy that I really am jealous of or, or admire a lot, and that's David. You know, David is, is referred to in the, in the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. There's no doubt that, that David loved and delighted in God. You know, and he wrote the beautiful psalm, Psalm 23, probably the most quoted psalm uh, in scriptures. You know, and I know we have a lot of military folks in here, and I know that sometimes that can be popular as, as you go in harm's way to, to, to think through Psalm 23. You know, and it starts off, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's beautiful. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And we see that beautiful affirmation that God is great and faithful and steadfast. And so as I was growing up, I liked David. I wanted, uh, I don't always want to be like him, but I, I'm jealous of, of much of, of David's experience with God, right? But I've grown to appreciate David even more for things he wrote like Psalm 13. Situations where um, he reveals that there are times when even a man after God's own heart can, can be in great distress and need to cry out to God and be confused. So, um, yeah. So as we get started tonight, let's read again verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 13. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, we look at that and we see that four times David asks, how long, God? You know, if he'd only said it once, we might be thinking he really wants God to tell him, "Um, David, this suffering that you're going through is going to last about three more months. And so hang on, and then it's going to be over. But, you know, that's really not the tone of this. This is David complaining to God. This is David in anguish, crying out to God, saying, this is not good, God. What are you doing? You know, it would be kind of like um, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I am not like a lawyer. I am a lawyer Uh, during the week, and um, I do criminal work. And so I have clients sometimes who are in jail, and uh, the, the law says that if you've been in jail for 90 days and the state has not indicted you, the judge has to either lower your bond that, so you can afford to get out or they have to grant you what's called a PR bond, a personal recognizance bond, and let you out then until you're indicted and then you have to you know, take care of your problems. But if I had a client who'd been in jail like, let's say, 180 days and um, wasn't released and he called me, he might say something to me like, how long is it going to take you to file that motion that gets me out of jail, right? Now, would he be asking me how much longer it's going to take, or would he be telling me, there's a problem. There's a problem here. This isn't good. This isn't right. 
And so that's exactly what David is saying. He's saying, hey, you know, there's a problem here. And we look and we see that um, David says that my enemy is exalted over me and I'm in deep trouble here. And if you don't do something, I think I'm going to die, God. And it's not, the problem is that I feel like you've forgotten me. Or even worse, that you are ignoring me. He says, you've turned your face from me. You know? So it's not so much uh, like David saying, well, you made a mistake, God. It's like you are not doing what you said you would do. And I don't like this. And not only that, I'm all alone. Do you see what David says? I take counsel in my soul all the day. And some translations, like the NIV says, I take counsel in my soul in every day. Because this is an ongoing problem. The feel is not, this is like a, a temporary short little period. There's a, a time of extended suffering that David's going through. It's just me, God. I'm by myself, David says. And so God, he tells the God, this is the problem. But really, there's two problems here. Do you see it? The first problem is that David's enemy is exalted over him. Okay? But here's the second problem. The second problem is that, God, you're not doing what I thought you were going to do. You're not doing what I thought you told me you were going to do. So there's two problems. You've got this problem of the enemy, and then you have the emotional, relational problem of, God, how do I go on with you in this circumstance? So let me ask you, can we really talk to God like this? Is that okay? Is it okay for us to go to God and say, I don't like what you're doing? I think that you are letting me down. This is awful, God. Can, you, can we say that to God? You know, in our other relationships, I'm married. My wife could come to me and she could say, um, I don't, th this is not working well, that what you're doing here, I want you to stop. I don't like it, you know. And we would talk it out and we would respond. Can we relate to God in that way, like a relationship? And the Psalms, in Psalm 13, say yes, that we do relate to God, that God is so gracious and personal in revealing himself to us and giving this, this psalm that we can relate to God this way in relationship. This psalm is a psalm for the dark times, the times when God doesn't make sense and we don't know what's going on. So let me ask you, what keeps you from talking to God like this? Do you? Because I know that you will or have gone through times where you feel like God has failed you and you don't understand what's going on in the world or in your life. Do you talk to God like this? I was thinking, why don't, why don't I do that? Maybe why don't you do that sometimes? And I think sometimes we don't do that because we don't really value the relationship that we have with God. At least in the midst of a great crisis, our biggest concern is the end of the crisis. I need the job. I need my health. You know, I need my kids to go to sleep at 1030. No, that, not that one. But, um, I, I, you know, this is what I need. And that is our focus. And honestly, we just don't care if we get God. We just want the problem solved. And tonight, maybe we should graciously hear the words or that we should hear the gracious words of Jesus when he says, what does it profit a man if you gain everything but you lose your soul? Maybe we, if we're in that position that we just don't care about our relationship to God, maybe we need to hear that tonight. 
But there's other reasons. Sometimes uh, we don't talk to God like that because we don't think we can. I think we're afraid that if we told God what we really thought about him and the situation that we're in, that we would be afraid he would say, well, if that's the way you feel about it, then we're done. I'm out of here. Go on. And if that's the case tonight, if you're afraid to talk to God because you feel that he might reject you for talking, talking to him about how you feel, that you feel abandoned, then hear the words of the Lord tonight in Romans chapter 8 where he says, well, where Paul says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what we're going through, we can go to our Heavenly Father and we can talk to him and he will not reject us. Okay, and then maybe here's the last reason. I, I think probably this is the most common reason, at least based on my experience, why we don't gotta go to God and tell him what we think. It's because um, we don't think we should do it. It's not because we're afraid to do it. It's because we don't think we should. We're Christians. We're strong. We have faith. We can get through this. But maybe you need to hear tonight from the book of Hebrews that the Lord Jesus became human and so that he could sympathize with our weakness. Whatever the reason is tonight that would keep us from telling God what he already knows about how we feel from him. We've got to see from Psalm 13 that when we are in a crisis and we feel, feel that God has let us down, we've got to tell him. That's what we've got to do. We've got to tell him. But not just tell him. Then we've got to ask him for help. So my daughter Clara is five. She's the youngest of our four children. I always talk about one of them in every sermon because I know them, and they're easy to use as illustrations. But she's five, and she likes to do everything for herself. You know anybody like that? She wants to do everything. <laughs> there you go. She wants to do everything for herself. So she likes to put the toothpaste on for herself, and that makes me nervous because you're not supposed to eat that stuff, you know, and she always puts a lot on. But so far, she's okay. She's made it to five. Um, she wants to dress herself and put shoes on, and we're very thankful for that because, you know, no parent likes to put shoes on their kids. Um, she likes to choose what she's going to wear, and she likes to put her seatbelt on in the car, which is great because, you know, it's hard to reach back there. But there are times... When, as Clara's putting her seatbelt on, the, maybe the buckle is like slipped behind the booster seat, and she can't do it. And so when she does it, what does she do? She says, Dad, can you help? And of course, I'm her dad, so I, of course I help her. I help her put, put the buckle into the belt. So what has she done there? She's taken her problem, and she's made it my problem, which is right, because I'm her dad, Right? And so what David is teaching us here is that when we're going through times of intense suffering and we cry out to God for help, not only do we need to tell him what we think and how we're feeling, but we need to ask him for help. And in doing that, we are taking what feels like our problem and we're putting it rightly where it belongs with God and making it his problem. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So what's saying? David's saying, what's David saying? He's saying, if you don't do something, God, I'm cooked. I'm in trouble. He says, consider me. Some translations say, look at me. Remember the relational problem. I feel like God has turned away from me. David says, no, look at me. I want, this is what I want. I'm not telling you what I want, God. I want you to look at me and I want you to answer me. Now, the psalm doesn't tell us who the enemy was or even what it was. 
some scholars say that the enemy uh, is, being, is death personified. And that David is really afraid here of death and that he's going to die. And, the re- and then the other foes are other enemies of the kingdom who don't want David to succeed. So they're going to rejoice if David dies. And then other scholars say, no, we don't know who the enemy was. But we look at David's life and we know there were times when he was sick and we know he had lots of enemies. So no matter who it was, David had a problem. He needed help. He wasn't in control. Have you ever felt like that? that you're not in control? You know, it's in times of intense suffering that we most realize how little control we have. You know, we start looking at our life and we realize, ah, I am limited uh, in power. I cannot do everything. I am limited in presence. I can't, even with the power that I have, I can't be everywhere at once. And you know what? I don't know everything. I don't all, sometimes I don't even know the right thing to do. I don't know everything. But you know who does? God does. God does. So we see clearly in these kind of circumstances that, that we're not God. And when we cry out of these limitations to God, we take what is our problem and we make it once again God's problem where it belongs all along. Listen, how does David address God? He's, three times he calls on the name of God. He says on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. You know, there's some freight behind that. There's some meaning to David calling on Yahweh. Yahweh is, is the name of God, the God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh has said, this is my name and this is what it means. You can count on me. Okay? We look back at uh, Exodus 34 and we see, how does God describe himself? He says, this is my name, Yahweh. I'm the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, God is the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And even when you feel forsaken, the truth is that you're not. So call out to him. Take your problem and, and let it be his where it belongs all along. So as we've worked through this psalm, we're kind of really seeing that we start off with anger and fear. And then we kind of move to, uh, in the second Passes to desperation and extreme need. God, if you don't do something, I'm going to die. But that's why this last part is kind of confusing or a little surprising because it has the tone of peace and trust. Let's read it. Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully for me, with me. So we, we'd want to ask, you know, what happened here? What happened where David is going from anger and frustration and desperation to peace and trust? And the psalm doesn't exactly tell us, but if we'll stop and just think about what's going on in the psalms, these psalms are kind of the emotional journey through the suffering, or this psalm. Psalm 13 is the emotional journey that David is taking through suffering. But we can be helped by other passages in the Bible, like uh, Philippians chapter 4, where Paul kind of describes practically what David has told us emotionally. What does Paul say in Philippians 4? He says, Don't be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
You see, as David has poured himself out to God, as he's told God, this is what I feel, this is what's going on, and he's asked God for help, God has met him in this and brought him peace. And in that peace, he can now, as the emotions subside, you know, you get into the fit, right? You're, you're panicked. And then as the emotions go down, you can see around you again. And you look back and, and, and David is looking back and he's saying, oh, but I have trusted in God's steadfast love. And he remembers, God has dealt bountifully with me. And then he can look forward to the day when God promises redemption and salvation for him. And even in the middle of the trouble, he can go on with God and rejoice. Because God has brought him peace. So, just a few concluding thoughts about suffering, and then we're going to close. We would like our uh, Psalm 13 experience to be like a one and done. Like, I'll do some suffering once, and then I would like it to be over. You know, I've cried out to God. He has rescued me, and I don't want that. And we want like spiritual Prozac. But the reality is that, that we will likely move in and out of lament throughout our lives until God makes everything new. So we don't want to be surprised. Here's another thing about suffering. If you're currently in it, you need Psalm 13 now. But if you're not currently in it, now's the time to learn about suffering. Now's the time to get some of the intellectual answers that will help you wrestle with the problem of evil. Okay? But when you're in the middle of it, you need Psalm 13. Uh, we can read Psalm 13 in about a minute, if, you speak, if you're real fast, 35 seconds, right? Uh, and we've been together not quite an hour probably, and I bet that's about as long as we'd like our suffering to last. But from the testimony of Scripture and the testimony of Psalm 13, this uh, suffering often endures. And this is not uh, something that we can just pray through and then be done. It's a process where God meets us. Uh, the peace that we need from God, it comes from God. It's a little risky and dicey for me to say, honestly. I feel uncomfortable saying it because I'd like to give you one, two, three steps to peace. But as Philippians tells us, it's God who brings this peace to us. So as we cry out to him, we have to wait on him at times. But it also will help us, even though the peace uh, that we need only comes from God, uh, it will help us to know that he often works through means. So what are some of those means? Well, first of all, prayer. That's what Psalm 13 is. It's talking to God. That's prayer. Second of all, the scriptures from the testimony of scriptures, we know more of God and his faithfulness. And thirdly, the community and fellowship of the church. When you're in intense suffering, some of you have a tendency to want to pull away. Maybe not to admit it, or maybe because you think no one's going to love you in the middle of it, but God has brought a church together so that we will love and encourage one another. And I have to tell you, some of the biggest blessings that I've had in suffering have directly been seen. I've seen God's love working through other people in my life. So let me encourage you to share your suffering with the church. And maybe the last thing I would say to you when we talk about suffering is this, that if you're in the midst of, midst of suffering, um, one of the best things you can do is direct your attention to Jesus. You know, go to the Gospels. Because when you go to the Gospels, you're going to see that Jesus is not remote from suffering. 
He is not uncaring. He is not detached. He is directly getting involved in people who are hurting and broken, and he has great compassion for them. So let me encourage you to go to the Gospels as you pray and as you wait on the Lord. So when we're in the dark and we feel like maybe God has forgotten us and we don't like the, the way things are going, Psalm 13 says that's a time to cry out to God and actually to tell him what's going on. But don't just tell him what's going on and stop. Ask him to help you. And then he'll meet you. And he'll give you peace as you walk through the suffering together. Let's pray.